is what the Bible says, John chapter 9, verse 1. And he, that is Jesus, and he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. As you heard in uh, the Advent devotional, the theme this week, if you're using that devotional throughout the week, is day spring. And that's an old-fashioned term that comes from that old hymn. And what day spring means, the way to think about day spring, maybe a, a more modern way of thinking about it for us, is day spring is, is light at the end of the tunnel. So you're in a dark tunnel and you're making your way through it, and all of a sudden you make your way around a bend, and then, ah, oh, there it is. I can see the end of the tunnel, and I'm almost there. Uh, another word, way to think about maybe more closely this day spring, because the idea of day spring is uh, dawn springing up. Uh, so it's the first light after a long, dark night when you're waiting for the sunlight. If you've ever gone camping, and it's one of those great times where all the gear fails and it's pouring down rain and it's freezing cold and no one is sleeping and all you're doing is waiting for the sun to come up so you can get out of Dodge, right? And that's what day spring is. There's just all of a sudden the, the sun creeps up over the hills. Thank goodness the night is over. We can get packed up and head home and try and get uh, warm. That's the idea of day spring in this hymn is the light is coming, light at the end of the tunnel and it's a light of hope. It's a light of saying, okay, the the darkness and trouble are now behind us, and now the light of hope uh, is in front of us. And, and Jesus is our day spring, is what we're going to see here in a number of texts that we're going to look at this morning. But let's start with the account of this blind man healed in John chapter 9. Jesus was passing by, and he saw a man who was blind since birth. He had never seen. He was born blind. So it wasn't as though he was born with sight and through injury or illness or fever, lost his sight. He was born not being able to see. And so he had never seen anything. And that his, his disciples asked him a theological question about this guy's blindness. He said, who sinned? This guy's been blind since birth. Who sinned, him or his parents? It's a thorny theological question. How could that guy have sinned? That resulted in his blindness. He was, he was born blind. And then on the other hand, if his parents sinned and he became blind, why is the son paying uh, the fee for his parents' sin? And the assumption they're making is an assumption we often make, even though we probably wouldn't say it out loud, is if something bad happens, it's because somebody did something bad. And that's the theology of sin that was really prevalent uh, during Jesus' time, which if something bad happened to somebody then somebody must have done something wrong earlier, and now they're getting their, their comeuppance. They're getting their upside the head. And, and that's the assumption they're making. Jesus never really answers their question other than to say that's the wrong question. He says, listen, it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but he was born the way he is to display the work of God. 
and now Jesus wants to make clear what kind of work in particular, a specific kind of work that Jesus is going to do in this guy's life to communicate a message. Because what's going on here is much more than just a guy receiving his sight. Look at verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the what? Light of the world. How good does that do a guy born blind? Hey, look, I've got this really bright flashlight for you. Uh, thanks. I'm blind. Your flashlight does nothing for me. So Jesus here now is connecting his ministry in particular with what he's going to do in the life of this individual. He says, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is trying to say to us, I am here to make things seen. I'm here to reveal something so that you can uh, see. And so the healing here, the way he healed the guy, if you look through the Gospels, he heals blind people a lot of different ways. And this is one of the most interesting ways. Uh, We'll touch on one of the other interesting ways here in a few minutes. But he spit on the ground and he made mud with his saliva. So he spit on the ground and made himself a little bit of mud because the ground was dry and dusty. He just got a little bit of mud going. And then he anointed, he put that mud he had made onto the guy's eyes and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Our our guess would be somebody attended him and took him to this pool. Otherwise, how in the world would he get there, right? So he went and he washed and he saw. When did he see? Not when the mud was applied. He stayed blind then. When he got to the pool and washed the mud off, then he could see. It's going to be important in how the account is related as it goes along. Look at verse 8. We didn't read it. What happens after this guy receives his sight? The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to, sit, used to sit and beg? Hey, you see that guy? Yeah. Is he the one who used to sit and beg? And, and the answers are varied. Some said, oh yeah, that's him. Others said, no, but it, it kind of looks like him. It's probably his twin brother. It kind of looks like him. And finally, the guy said, no, I'm that guy. Here's what's funny. The people who, who could see were struggling because they could see the facts. Man born blind, washes, walking around seeing stuff, and their minds were not letting them grasp it. No, that couldn't be him. Why? Because this guy that I'm looking at is seeing. And no matter how much he looked like the other guy, blind people from birth don't see. That doesn't happen. So therefore, I must conclude I'm not seeing that guy, I'm seeing someone else. Finally, the guy tells everybody, no, I'm that guy. And they said, how were your eyes open? How is it that you came to be seeing? And he said, look, Jesus made some mud. He anointed my eyes. He told me to go to the pool and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said, where is he? And what was his reply? I don't know. Why didn't he know where Jesus was? He has no idea what he looks like. He's never seen him. Because Jesus anointed his eyes with mud and said, go and wash. So this guy has no idea what Jesus looks like. He knows Jesus put his hands on his eyes and he knows Jesus anointed him with his mud and saliva and he knows that Jesus told him to go wash, but he doesn't know what this guy looks like. He's been born blind and all he's ever seen so far in his life is the path to Siloam or returning from it. So this man is born blind, Jesus gives him sight, and Jesus wants to make it clear, he is the one who makes light seen. That's the whole point he is trying to make. It's in verse 5. As long as I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. And I want to show you what that looks like. And he heals the blind guy. I am the light of the world. And that brightness, uh, the change that is going to occur is being blind and now seeing. Okay, look at Romans chapter 8. We'll have some of these verses up on the screen. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I believe that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now it's two times. You see that word revealing? Make known. See. Uh, to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So let me sum up what we see in Romans 8, 18 in regard to the world. The world is blind. The world in its corruption is blind, and we see it at least twice, Something needs to be revealed. And so what we realize about Jesus' ministry, he healed the blind guy to try and convince us we're all blind. He didn't heal the blind guy because he wanted him to have a better life, although he did have compassion on the guy. He had a bigger thing going on. He wanted us to realize everybody's blind. The world is corrupted and ruined. You and some friends decide to go spelunking going into caves. I just want a reason to say spelunking today. So you're going to navigate your way down into the cave. Maybe you're going to go up to Oregon Caves. And usually when I was a kid and we went to Oregon Caves, you get to a certain spot in the cave and they turn all the lights off. Have you, anybody else? Is this just me? So say you take a blind guy with you and you're walking away through the caves and he's got his hand on your shoulder and you're describing to him stalagmites and stalactites and all these other sort of mineral formations. And then they turn the lights off. What changes for your friend? Nothing. Absolutely nothing changes. What's going on, guys? The lights are off. And everybody else, everybody who's not blind, as soon as the lights go off, what do you do? You ever been in that? You go like this. You squint. Like that's going to generate light. Like by squinting, which, which in fact squinting does the opposite. It actually restricts the amount of light that comes into your eyes. Or you start doing this, right? If I could see my hand, it exists. If I can't see my hand, I don't have a hand. I don't know what that means. But you start waving your hand. What is the blind guy doing? Tuesday. There's no change. He, there, there's, he is not having a difficult thing. In fact, in that moment, his blindness might be considered an advantage. He more immediately is starting to use other things to figure out what's going on around him. Whereas those of us who are sighted when we're dropped into blindness, we're going to struggle to hold on to our seeingness. Before It's going to take a while pretty soon. Okay, I got to pay attention to what my ears are doing and what my, my skin is doing and what my hands are doing. Whereas the, the unsighted one knows more the reality of the situation more immediately. This is what the Bible is trying to convince us of. We're in a dark cave. It's only a figment of our imagination that we think this world is lighted. And, and the blind man is just simply a way of Jesus is trying to communicate. We all need our eyes opened because the sufferings of this world are just telling us that a glory is going to be revealed. The world is in sin's darkness. It's awaiting for the glory of Jesus and Jesus revealed in us as well. 
And Jesus is going to take our darkened world from futility and turn it into his freedom and his glory. So this is what, what Jesus is doing. He's not just healing the blind guy so he can navigate a sighted world. He is trying to communicate to the world, I am giving sight to the blind, and any who are, are separated from God, which is everybody, are blinded and need to have the light of Christ revealed for them. A great uh, prophecy touches on it. It's over in Isaiah chapter 60, beginning in verse 19. Prophecy and a poem, and it's beautiful. Let me read Isaiah 60, verses 19 through 20. The sun shall be no more. Let me try to read it correctly. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. The sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. So Jesus here is making us understand through the blind man, he is fulfilling this prophecy among many, many others in the Old Testament. He is that light. The Lord is our light, illuminating the darkness around us. And he's not just our light for the next 10 minutes. He's our light forever. Even to a point where we'd say, do we need a sun? Do we need a moon? And the answer is, when we are fully home with Christ, the answer is no, we don't need him. Because we have him. He will give us light to see. The Lord will illuminate the darkness. He is our only hope for light. He is our only hope for glory. He is the reason we have a hope that the darkness is going to go away. Now, we have lots of things that trouble us on a day-in and day-out basis. I, I guess this year in particular, we have more things to uh, think about. You might think, talk to some people who are older than, than me. They may challenge that notion. Uh, been through a couple of world wars. You know, my grandpa had mustard gas scars on his arm. Uh, he might uh, say 2020. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it sounds kind of rough. I don't know. But we think, well, here's what's the light at the end of the tunnel for us in 2020? Or what's the light at the end of the tunnel for us in any given moment? That's where we're going to place our hope. Our hope is whatever that thing is, that if we have it or it goes away, we'll feel better. And Jesus has positioned himself in the Bible to say, I am that hope. And there is nothing else in this world that will give you hope other than the light of the Lord. He is that only final and total hope. Look at it in Revelation chapter 22 beginning in verse 1. Revelation 22, verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the, thr the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And if you take some time, go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and read this passage and you'll realize this is Genesis turned upside down. The tree of life with access again. What happened at the end of Garden of Eden? Where was the tree of life? In the garden. What was guarding it? Two angels with lightsabers. 
flaming swords. And yeah, I know. But we couldn't have access to it. Why? We were plunged into darkness. And here we have a new creation reordered. And now those in Christ have light. They're no longer in darkness. They have access to the tree of life. They have access to the throne of God. Uh, Full access can walk in any given time and say, how's it going? And worship. And Jesus is saying, I am your light. I am your hope. It is for these days that we have hope. And Jesus says, I am your light to see. I am your warmth. I am your joy. I am your peace. I am your rest forever. Let's look at another blind guy to say, kind of help us think about where we are today. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. I think of all the blind people getting healed in the gospel, this might be my favorite. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him, assuming he would heal him, of course. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village And when he had spit on his eyes, it's kind of gross, he laid his hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. All right, so that's a little strange. So maybe we'd guess he hasn't been blind since birth because you know what trees look like? Maybe, I don't know, we're guessing. But either way, he, he was sort of healed. Like Jesus healed him, but maybe Jesus was a little tired, a little tight in the shoulders, didn't have his, his game on. No, that's not what was happening. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and his eyes opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So what's going on is Jesus, again, he's always communicating. He's showing us what this blindness looks like. Might I suggest, based on 1 Corinthians 13, there's a verse that tells us, now we see through a glass dimly. On that day, we will see what? Face to face. Where are we on that range of blindness? I don't know, it might give on the day, but I think some days in terms of our connection with the Lord and how we're walking with him, it feels like we're walking through the mist. We're just straining to try and see it. But it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't up to something. It just means we're not home yet. It just means we have another day that we're looking forward to. There's going to be a day where we're going to stand before the Lord. The fog's going to clear. We're going to see him face to face, and it's all, oh, now I see what you were doing. Now, now, Now it's starting to come together. But right now, we're, we sometimes feel like we're feeling in the dark. We can see, and we're, we're following Christ in hope, and we know there's a hopeful day that's going to come. But other days, doesn't seem, it seems dark. It seems like, I don't know if we're going to make it. And, and it doesn't mean Jesus isn't up to something. It just means we're not home yet. And a day is going to come. Some days are better than others, but a day is going to come when the, the lights are going to come on, and we are going to see Christ, and his light will never, ever dim. Even today, we see dimly. But one day we will see more closely. And so we put our hope in the light of Jesus. Jesus is our day spring. He is our light to see. Let's go back to John chapter 9. Let's look at the rest of that passage. There's some important things to think about. Jesus is our light to see. How about this? Jesus is our day spring. Jesus is not just a light that we might see. He wants us to see the light. Let me explain what I'm saying here. You're walking through the forest, it gets dark, so you turn on your flashlight. Or if you're like me, you turn on the light on your phone. You're like, you know, shining around. I don't know a lot of people, if you suddenly find yourself in the darkness, you turn on your light and then look at the light. Did anybody else do that? That's a bad idea. I mean, it's dark out. Your eyes are already sort of adjusted to the dark. You shine a light in your eyes, it's going to hurt. And then you're not going to be able to see anything, right? What we do with the light is we generally shine it on stuff. Look, tree, bear, mountain lion. Okay, we're good. So you're, just, you're looking around at what stuff is. Jesus, though, as a light, 
is a little bit different. He illuminates the world around us. It's in utter darkness, and Jesus gives us light to see. But Jesus, on the other hand, is a light that is lovely to look at. Jesus is a light we want to, we want to actually see this light. It's not just merely that he provides light to see the world around us. When we see Jesus, I might say it this way, we don't want to see anything else. Verse 13 of John chapter 9, they brought to the Pharisees, boo, I thought you would do it, okay, boo, yeah, what do you, remember when you're reading the Bible and you read the word Pharisees, you should hear the Darth Vader music playing in the background. They brought the man who was formerly blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day. Okay, somebody's about to get their britches in a bind. We know that if you've read the Gospels. Jesus had made mud and opened. Is that, can you believe the gall of this guy? Making mud? On Sabbath day. He was completely against the rules. The Pharisees asked him how he'd received his sight, and he said, this is what the guy told him. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and seed. And this is what they're hearing. On a Sabbath day, you, number one, made mud. Are you kidding me? I'm being silly, but back then this was very serious to the Pharisees. Secondly, you did what? You washed it? A good Jew would leave the mud on their face till the next day. Because you shouldn't be working to get the mud off your eyes. This is how the Pharisees, number one, Jesus should not have made mud to give you eyes to see. And even if he did, you should have stayed blind at least for another day, if you're a good Jew at all. Just stay blind. You can watch the next day and get your sight back. So the, the disciples had started this uh, account here by asking who had sinned. And the Pharisees are now asking what? Who has sinned? And they know two people have, according to their measures. Jesus has sinned by making mud on the Sabbath. The blind man has sinned by washing on the Sabbath. And Jesus has participated in the blind man's sin by telling him to wash on the Sabbath. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man, speaking of Jesus, he is not from God. And doesn't that kind of creep you out a little bit? They're saying Jesus is not from God. I don't know if I want to be saying the creator of the universe is not from God or God. That's a dangerous, you better be really sure. Others said, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Look at verse 17. They said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And the blind man said this, he is a prophet. Why would he say that? Because this is what all the Old Testament prophecies said would happen. The Messiah would come healing the blind. This is not new information for anybody, especially the Pharisees. So they had some check boxes the Messiah would do, and one of them is heal the blind. However, the Pharisees had other check boxes, things the Messiah won't do. One of them what? Break the Sabbath. How do you know if they're breaking the Sabbath? They weren't sure, so they came up with a whole long list of things you can and can't do on the Sabbath. So therefore, you don't make mud on the Sabbath. You don't wash off mud on the Sabbath. You don't help people who are sick on the Sabbath. You sit home, you watch Netflix on the Sabbath. Everybody knows this. They had all these rules. So therefore, since the Messiah broke the Pharisees' rules, the Messiah was not keeping the Sabbath, so therefore Jesus is not the Messiah. He can heal blind people all day long. He is not meeting my expectations of what he ought to be, so therefore he is not who he says he is. This is dangerous ground to be on, but that's exactly their reasoning. The blind guy, a beggar since birth, 
Does he know how to read? No, he's a beggar and he's been blind. He knows more theologically about the Messiah than the Pharisees who probably had the Old Testament memorized. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind, so they called his parents. This is verse 18 and 19 and following. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? You can hear the cynicism. His parents answered, we know that's our son. Um, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he sees, nor we do, know, do we know how his eyes were opened. You ask him, he's old enough. He's a grown-up. Ask him. And the reason his parents answered this way, it tells us in verse 22, they didn't want the Pharisees to cast them out of the synagogue. The synagogue was not only the religious center of the community, it was your social connection. If you wanted a good deal on home repairs, you asked your buddy at the synagogue. And if you aren't in a synagogue, you're not going to be able to get any business done. You're going to show up the next morning to purchase your goods in the market, and nobody's going to sell to you. This is a big, you're shut down. Your debit card's canceled. Your driver's license is gone. You can't do business in the community. And so they were very careful. Hey, yeah, talk to our kid. These are some great parents. Number one, their blind kid is begging. What does this tell you about whether or not they were caring for him? The parents were still alive and their blind son was relegated to begging. So these are some high quality parents. They are not writing any parenting books to begin with. Secondly, when it comes down to it and it's time to really rubber meets the road, are we going to get kicked out of the synagogue? They throw their blind since birth son who's been begging his whole life under the bus. Ask him, are we still good? These are some high quality parents. So for a second time, they called him in. Verse 24, look at this. This is unbelievable. I love this guy. They called him in. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Tell us what happened. Verse 25, he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. And he just sticks to the facts. This guy would be a really good attorney. One thing I know, I was blind. Now I see. I can tell you, hold up the number of fingers. I'll tell you how many you're holding up. And they said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And this is the Sabbath day issue. He answered them, I've told you. Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? And they reviled him and said, you're his disciples. We know that God has spoken through Moses, but he couldn't speak through this man. And here's what he says. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't, do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered, you were born in utter sin, of which he would have agreed. And they cast him out of the synagogue. Here's what's incredible about this blind guy. He has never seen Jesus. And he has shared the gospel with religious leaders to such an extent that he's now being persecuted. His hope is in the Messiah alone, and he has been blind since birth, and he has never seen his Messiah. How do we know that? Look at verse 35. This is where the story gets exciting. I know you're like, but it was exciting already. Hang on, buckle up. Jesus heard that they had cast him out of the synagogue, and he found the guy, and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a, a Messiah reference. And he said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Why did he ask this question? He's never seen Jesus before. He doesn't know who he was talking to. And Jesus says, you have seen him. It is he who was speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. 
So Jesus said, no, you have seen him. He's saying two things there. He's saying, you have seen him, meaning it's me. I'm the guy who healed you. And this guy believed in Jesus for his forgiveness. He said, I believe, and he worshiped him. But Jesus is also saying, no, you have seen more already than all the sighted people in this city. You have seen Jesus before your eyes were opened because you walked to the pool and and washed. You've seen him. This guy might say this, and here's what I would say is our primary thing we need to think about from this section of Scripture, John 37. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to, uh, speaking to you. Jesus is the reason we have eyes. The reason you have eyes is not so you can avoid hitting and running into things. It is not to make your life easier. You're, you have eyes for this reason, that you may behold Jesus. If the only thing you have ever seen or ever will see is a glimpse of Jesus, you have brought to full use the reason for your eyes being in your head. That we use them for other things is perfectly acceptable. But what we're learning here is Jesus is not just light in the world. He is the light we we yearn to see. And this is what this blind man is revealing to us. He's saying, by faith, I see Jesus. And then when his eyes beheld him, he worshiped him. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Because at the end of verse 1, it says, In the latter time he's made a glorious way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness on them has light shown you have multiplied the nation you have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil out of galilee comes the great light that brings such joy it's the same kind of joy you would have if your harvest was overabundant or if you had excuse me a great victory over your enemy and there was a great spoil jesus is the light jesus is our blessing of god's salvation Jesus is our hope of joy and gladness, both here and forevermore. Jesus is our saving light. Okay, last verse, Revelation 21, 1 through 5, and then we're going to close. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. (laughs) Excuse me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we need to understand this about Jesus. He's making all things new. He is our hope. He is our hope to not despair today, even though we live in a world of darkness still today. He is our hope to not despair because we know, first of all, he's taking today and making it for his glory. But secondly, another day is coming, a day spring day, 
when his light is going to break forth and everything's going to be remade. Everything's going to work the way it was supposed to work. His light is coming. He's going to break forth his light onto this world, and we will see what we finally have always yearned for to see, and that is him. But hope, one of the primary ways we worship in hope is endurance. So if we know a day is coming when he is going to break through the dawn and we know that day is coming and it is certain as was his resurrection, then way we worship in that is to say, well, then I can make it through today. Then by his grace and his strength, I can see that today is worth enduring. We can get through another dark day in the joy of the Lord, knowing a day is coming when the dawn will break through.